Good morning. Hi. I'm waking up. I'm getting there. Whose paradise are you in, Bailey? Um, I'm in my own today. Excellent. I'm in my own. Um, but, you know, I'll be in another girl's tomorrow, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> I'm hoping to be in another boy's paradise, if I'm honest, or another they's paradise. That'd be nice. <laughs> yeah. I could all do with a little bit of paradise on the side. Mm, golly. <laughs> the, the cracks are starting to show everybody. <laughs> we're we're travelling, we're tired, we're present. I mean, we've got a door between us this time, that's always a plus. Yes, this is true. We are in separate rooms. Look, the point is, Michael's walk is not all it's cracked up to be. <laughs> don't get where this isn't don't get too caught up in our paradise. It has its it has its flaws. It has it, its Challenges. Yeah, absolutely. Hi, I'm Michael Earp. And I'm Bailey Turner. Welcome to Michael's Walk, the podcast. Michael's Walk is a road trip, a search for something. Spoilers, it's myself, and it was inside all along. If only it were that simple. Driven by Tori Amos's album, Scarlet's Walk, I'm recreating the journey Scarlet took in its 20th anniversary year. I'll also be there. With the loving and patient, always patient, support of Bailey and Teague Lee, three trans queers set out across America. That's 33 states in 55 days. To connect with the songs, the land that inspired them, and the fans inspired by the songs. We'll talk music, travel, healing, and hope as we ask the questions, how do I heal from 15 years of coercive control and manipulation? And what role does the music we listen to play in our own relationship narratives? We've self-produced this podcast and trip. You can support us via GoFundMe. For the full story, head to michaelerb.net. There's, um, this song is all about desiring what other people have. And yes, having this trip could be enviable on some level, but, you know, it's not all sunshine and roses and absolutely not skipping down rainbow painted sidewalk yeah. well we're in Washington DC today and it's feeling really intense already like knowing what happens here and knowing what's been happening here in the last week you know we don't know if we're gonna stumble on any protests today like we probably need to google that before we leave the house and it's a very serious environment and it's bringing up I don't know how, how it is for you but it's bringing up a whole lot of intense thoughts for me about the kind of global relationship this country has with the rest of the world and the influence that it has over cultures far and wide so yeah just last night Teague's sister asked is the Roe versus Wade getting as much uh, attention here as it is on social media back home and I'm mm. like yeah like just as much if not more so and I also feel like the people we meet and the people we talk to, it it really is affecting them in a big way too. Absolutely. Uh, it's not just something that's on the news. This is their country that has made this change and I think it's shocked everyone into what it means for the future and just how Handmaid's Tale are we moving towards. Well, I mean, that, I mean, and how far into it 
have we long already been like Handmaid's Tale wasn't it kind of gives the impression that it's a very sudden thing but for women with disability for people with uteruses who are trans and non-binary for people who you know are survivors of trauma and rape and particularly for people of color black and brown people indigenous people reproductive rights have long been withheld or for fat people as well you know there are so many humans for which this is this is no this is nothing fresh this is nothing new this has been this has been a long long game in the making and only now that it's affecting white people is is there starting to be some uproar and but it is absolutely terrifying and it's not just the issue itself but it's actually about what what this says about the government's ultimate desire to control um, to control everything down to the function of the human body when there were so many promises that it, this just was a ridiculous notion and then it turns out it's something that has been in the works for over a decade yeah on that light note let's discuss another girl's paradise <laughs> well i was just gonna say that everyone's paradise has elements that are less desirable to the people whose paradise it is as well as people who it's not like yeah yeah well so much of the the paradise idea is that is your perception mm. you know you perceive that someone else has something that they may not even actually have it just appears that they do and whether they are conscious of and and creating that perception or not you know the authenticity of the paradise is always highly debatable and we've we've been in our share of what we feel like are authentic real paradises and what are contrived constructed paradises yes yeah uh so narratively in the album this song scarlet gets out of the taxi the long taxi ride she took from the very north of the country all the way to the south she steps out of the taxi in new orleans and she gets herself a car and she goes driving out on her own and then she flies to hawaii as well to experience hawaii as this ideal paradise and compares it to Miami and these two hot, lovely, idyllic places and how very different they are mm. and how they fit into her own notion of paradise. She basically discovers that there is room for both in her world and in the world. Mm. Um, but for us, it was a little bit different to that. We, uh, some of us had a night of debauchery, debauchery and, and queer liberation in New Orleans. Yes, uh, while someone was stuck, while I was stuck in a. I mean, hotel it's a room. paradise. <laughs> no, well, it's like well, that's just the thing. Purgatory. <laughs> but because Palm Springs is such this destination paradise, the amount of people that were like, oh. That's lovely. Like, they were so excited for me that that's where I was. And I'm like, but I, it's, I, all I see is my hotel room. I'm not by the pool sipping cocktails. <laughs> like, this is not what you think when you hear Palm Springs. Yeah, that's exactly right. It's hotel quarantine that could have been anywhere in the world. In fact, yeah, it's 43 degrees outside and I can't go to the pool. <laughs> it's 
So I could really use an, another girl's paradise in Michigan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Our sort of connection to another girl's paradise started. Teague and I uh, left. Um, we had a bit of bit of time between Santa Fe. We flew to San Antonio in Texas. Um, and we're going to talk about this more in our Sweet Sangria episode. We went through Houston and then drove from Houston to New Orleans in Louisiana. Everyone who knows I'm Australian, please forgive me for my Americanized pronunciation of some of these city names. I've kind of lost my way. New Orleans, <laughs> as we'd say back in the country. And when we got there, we were in quite a nice sort of um, bit of accommodation that had been rebooked by Michael. And... Um, Kind of immediately what we'd sort of decided was that um, Michael set us a bit of a scavenger hunt of things to see. And this place was roasting hot, I'll tell you that much for free. And um, But we set out on foot and we wanted to capture as much of these places that um, we wanted to share with Michael. Um, including uh, the Louis, Louis Armstrong Park and there's the steamboat on the water and Jackson, Jackson Park. Jacksonville Park, some incredible sort of monuments to the history. And as we wandered around, you know, there was all of the tourist versus authentic kind of, you know, voodoo references along the street. And we went along Bourbon Street, which is the famous street in New Orleans, and found ourselves in a very cute little gay bar and found the sort of queer, queer crossroads of the place. Did you listen to the Bourbon Street remix of Carnival by Tori Amos? I can't say I did. <laughs> I can't say I did. Yeah, it was. Um, and then, yeah, took ourselves out for a night out. We were promised a strip competition, <laughs> which didn't eventuate. So we went to a bar with Go-Go Boys and um, it turned out that they, because it was quite quiet, they were super friendly and we had some great chats with them and got to know them. and. We got back rubs and, you know, a bit more money went into jock straps than maybe we intended and one of them may have come home with me, but that was fine. <laughs> it was lovely. Shout out to him. Well, the their night started, I got a photo of them at a bar and it made, it, like, immediately I was like, oh, that's the bar that I got so wasted in that I had to lie down and have a nap in the lap of some man that had been talking to me all night in order to like be coherent yeah. again at least i managed to stay conscious that's <laughs> <laughs> so i've had my uh wild night in uh, new, orleans. new orleans back in 2018 so but yeah it's not as if i missed out completely not at all after having some really good fun times well it was fun for me i think someone else got a little bit drunk and was really a bit sorry for herself but um we caught a flight to Orlando and after having this kind of paradise joyful night um, on that day that we flew, Roe versus Wade was overturned um, in the Supreme Court that day, um, which threw the whole country and the world into outcry and horror. And it kind of was the terrible note of what kind of became a bit of a disastrous day where... Yeah. Um, Orlando was smothered in storms. We were so looking forward to Michael coming back to join us. But uh, I was sent on a wee detour. <laughs> the funny thing is, I didn't even notice. Like, <laughs> this was the first time that I'd 
had a chance to really sort of focus and, and write, I guess. I was feeling more myself after uh, recovering from COVID mm. and knowing that I was, f like, free to explore the country again. And so I used the flight from Palm Springs to Orlando to write, and I wrote a big long piece that I'll be sharing through my Patreon. I was so engrossed in writing that I didn't even notice what was going on and I had my headphones on which are noise cancelling and I had, was listening to music and then I look up and everyone's sort of grumbling to each other and looking put out and I look out the window and I'm like oh but there's you know there's an airport down there that we're circling like surely we're close now oh it looks like we're about 20 minutes late but I guess you know whatever and then I hear that apparently we had been circling um, Orlando for some time but couldn't land because of the electrical storm that was happening and then we were diverted to Tampa to refuel and then it turned out that we were going to be kept on the air airplane waiting for the refueling to happen and then we would take off and go again but then we were asked to disembark and we were told not to go anywhere because our luggage would not be taken off the plane so if we left the airport our luggage would have to be collected from Orlando and so I was waiting around for that to for them to reschedule the flight and then they told us that the flight had been rescheduled to six o'clock the next morning uh, <laughs> And that they were releasing our luggage and so I was like that's it I'm just going to hire a car drive the two hours from Tampa to Orlando in order to collect Tegan Bailey and the hire car that we had booked for the next seven, a bit, yeah. seven days seven eight days and so then I ended up having to drive through that storm that was passing over all of Florida. And there were accidents everywhere. It was the longest crawl, like crawl of a drive, um, torrential downpour, um, lightning flashing in the distance. It was a disaster. <laughs> and so what, what should have been a joyful like reunion, six hour travel for me to then be reunited, turned into a 19 hour day where I got up at four in the morning in order to make my flight and didn't get to bed in Orlando until 10 o'clock that night. And, and then we just got up in the morning to go to Disney World. Yeah, we were up again at six <laughs> to, to, to Paradise what, Part 2. What was arguably the most scheduled and planned for day in the entire two months. <laughs> there, was, there were meetings held mm -hmm. just to plan our one day at Disney. Look, you can't mess around with the mouse. <laughs> you need a schedule. But we were talking in the Carmel Planners episode about how these were two very different versions of Paradise that we'd kind of been, you know, that certainly for me and Teague had been in, you know, like New Orleans is such a powerhouse kind of place and it's incredibly energetic and it's got an incredible spirit to it and we'd had so much fun just kind of both of us really surrendering to the vibe of it you know what it what it was about 
and kind of letting ourselves be overtaken by that attraction to it. Um, and then to sort of go from there into something that is so kind of commercial and capitalist and, and kind of saccharine sweet and, you know, this real very expensive nostalgia, but one that we find ourselves, you know, sort of very engrossed in and invested in. It was also a really good day um, for what it was and, and for how much we packed in. So yeah, we kind of, each of us had our own sort of objectives and things that we wanted to try and enjoy. I know that, and like it was, I think you made this remark, which was, it was a very odd place to be the day after Roe versus Wade being overtaken. Yeah. Like suddenly we were like, well, you know, the, you know, they put your rage aside and go have a magical day. <laughs> yeah, it was complicated. really surreal to be dealing with those emotions whilst being spoon-fed sugar all day long. Mm. And stood in. And standing in, <laughs> in queues for hour at a time. Yeah, it's, um, it's interesting because I know... So many people idealize Disney World, but it's just, it's not, it's not necessarily my, my idea of the greatest time. Yes, I enjoy all the things that are there. Don't get me wrong. I, I enjoy the sort of carnival-esque aspect of it. And I am a sucker for rides. Like I love theme park rides and roller coasters in particular. So I'm absolutely on board for the reasons people go. I just, at the, we got to the end of the day and we looked back and, oh, we did five rides. And I'm thinking we spent, what, 10 hours to achieve five 10 minute rides? Like, <laughs> this is not an equation that adds up in my book. Plus I, I wore the wrong shirt. I wore a, a, sh a new shirt that I had bought and it was, Polyester oh, yeah, and I was real sweating. <laughs> it was so uncomfortable wearing that shirt in that heat. And for that long. For so that it took long. A, it took us a while to sort of have enough. We had not scheduled time to go shopping. Yeah. <laughs> so. And so I kept on wanting to stop into a shop to just buy anything to replace what I was wearing. But Everything. there was no time in the schedule. And everything was like wickedly expensive and, you were, and, it, like, and it wasn't necessarily to your taste and like yeah. just yeah. and like if I'm gonna spend forty <laughs> American dollars on a singlet I want to be able to wear it again. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> so it took me a while to find something that didn't like repulse me. It's okay everybody. They got one with Dumbo on it. It's super yeah. cute. It says don't just fly soar and it looks like it's really like weathered and vintage and I quite like it. Yeah, it's cool. but it, it was ridiculously expensive. <laughs> but yeah, so those were our those were our yeah. other girls' paradise days. They were they were the time we spent, and then I guess there was a little bit of driving north after Orlando that fits in with the map on some degree. We drove from Disney th up to Atlanta on Sunday, mm. and yeah, it was uh, interesting. We stopped at Mister. No, I say Mr. Bojangles. It's just called Bojangles, um, the God. chicken joint. Um, we also had Dairy Queen. Yes, and then we had Dairy Queen. I had a dilly bar. It was delicious. <laughs> <laughs> I had a blizzard, which 
tasted just like upside down thick. (laughs) It was upside down thick, apparently. Um, I'm putting that on my grinder profile. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, please do. I'm upside down thick. Dairy queen. Ah! (laughs) Dairy free queen, thank you. So, tying it all back into the song, the song is very much about that grass is greener kind of mentality and coveting what other people have, whether that be objects or people or lifestyles or even states of mind. I sometimes Mm. find myself coveting other people's worldviews. I'm like, how can you be so engaged but serene or all these things that I wish I was that my brain doesn't function in the same ways and and how you need to recognize that sometimes you just have to stop comparing yourself comparing each other and it's more about finding what works for you Mm. and finding your own paradise not constantly trying to fit yourself into someone else's yeah you know Tori talks about how this song has a great deal of has a great deal to do with the competition between women in particular and the way that women are controlled by being remained in competition, by, by being divided by jealousy. Mm. You know, there's, is that, it is that thing of, you know, two things can exist at once and the joy of life is in sharing in someone else's paradise, seeing it for them and celebrating them and lifting them up. And, and that's the way you get to experience it is by being audience to it and being, being party to it rather than having to kind of co-opt it and, and, and covet it for yourself. Yeah, that yeah, was, it, yeah. yeah, I mean, that was certainly my experience with Disney. Like, I saw how much you two were enjoying it, and that was what brought me joy. Yeah, absolutely. It was less about me wanting this to be on the itinerary and more about celebrating mm. the fact that you two were having such a wonderful day. Mm. I think, you know, for me, this song, the refrain in the chorus is just some of the most powerful writing and th- that she's ever done, and I, you know, love this song this used to be my favorite song of scarlet's walk because of my experience in relationships where i you know i fall pretty hard for people and i commit pretty deeply and and you know to sort of when when those relationships become unviable i definitely feel that that thing of like who can love you and still be standing and can i take from you and not keep taking it's you know how do i how do i stop how do i stop loving and it's kind of where I reached it from a relationship level. Uh, so yeah, yeah, it's a pretty powerful song. Those lines for me, like the who can love you and still be standing is very much about I was loving and giving and giving and giving until I was devastated. That was constructed through the way he controlled and manipulated the mm. relationship to serve him. And so it just made me wonder is this all of your relationships? Like, mm. who can love you and still be standing? Like, it's a genuine question. Mm. If this is the way you take and take and take, and then can I take from you? As in, is there, is there any way to take any morsel of love in return but not desperately need, want more, yeah. but then be able to get enough to sustain me? Mm. It's definitely a song about anxious attachment. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Which is our style. 
but then another line in it, which came up in our discussion with Kenny. I'll play that little clip mm. from our interview with Kenny uh, here, but... I think the only other thing I would say is, um, while doing this, Another Girl's Paradise came to mind, and what I want is not to want what isn't mine, but I, I am desire. I want. I would love that tattoo. That's such a fucking long line. It will not look good anywhere unless I like wrapped it around the leg like a tree trunk. So we'll, we'll see. That's something that I, that always sits with me. You don't think you think so? so up the thigh, down the thigh. <laughs> Maybe I could do that. But that always comes to mind too, because I feel like I do want things that are you know that are not within grasp, and that's not really fair to me. To you know, clamor for it so hard because it's just going to hurt me at the end of the day. So, um, so I don't want to be desire, but I am. <laughs> like, <laughs> well, it's okay to be desire, but it's, it's how you process that and um, put it out into the world. You know how a lot of people have New Year's resolutions? Mm -hmm. Mine has been the same every year for the last decade. Basically, my resolution is just to want less. Oh, I love that. And it's pure. It can be applied to any situation. Like... Obviously, you still need things and you're going to want things. A large part of it for me is wanting less physical things. Like, I don't need to buy shit for my house mm -hmm. or, like, just because I see something that I think is freaking awesome, I don't have to own it. Like, just in a consumerism sort of way. But then it plays across into more sort of metaphysical levels as well. Totally. And so that, that line in uh, Another Girl's Paradise is is so good mm-hmm mm-hmm <sighs> let's hope she plays it in one of these last oh, la yeah, shows that would be, be great that'd be great what i want is not to want what isn't mine that's always stuck with me too because because of this grass is greener situation i really have been trying to work on not being jealous of other people's lives and really trying to work on being content in my own life that's where it originated from but it has evolved to be not not desiring more than i need to live mm. and being i can enjoy things and enjoy people without needing to possess them mm. uh, and so yeah i'm really constantly working on that what I want is not to want what isn't mine. But I am desire. Like, I'm allowed to like and love and desire yeah, those things. Yeah. But it's what I do with that desire that's the important part. Yeah. The line that really gets me, we were talking about as well, was in the bridge. It's a very short bridge, but it's that sort of, I know you keep telling me. And it's, for me, that's that moment of like, I keep having to learn this lesson over and over and over again. I need to do this resolution every single year. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I know that you tell me we're not in competition. You tell me that we're not at odds. But, you know, but it all comes down to the thing that one girl fears in the night is another girl's paradise. And there's, there's, a, there's a way we've been encoded, a way we've been kind of conditioned. And so we always need to be sort of watchful of each other and supportive to allow multiple truths with that, the does it all come down to this, the thing one girl fears in the night is another girl's paradise. For me, that played out in a way where I would spend so much time 
daydreaming about what life would be if I was with someone else because I was so unhappy in the relationship that I was in and I wasn't feeling fulfilled and I didn't see any support or effort on the other, like on the other side. But I was so scared to chase that paradise as well. And like I saw it as, oh, well, I've got a long-term relationship, so that's one person's paradise. So why am I, I like, I was petrified of leaving one supposed paradise in search of another. Mm. And so it, it really played into trapping me there. Mm. And another thing that sort of played out in this way is the way that we presented ourselves. Hardly anyone knew what was going on with us. I had friends say to me, you're the poster couple of making it work. And like we were like just our longevity was enviable to other people. And so then I fell into the trap of trying to maintain that image. And that that was detrimental for me as well, because I was embodying this facade of my own paradise that the play acting at it almost became more important than being happy. Mm, 100%. It can be very difficult to face that something just may not be for you. You know, is it, is it just another girl's, it's another girl's paradise and not going to be mine. It's, it's something else. And that's another connection that I make with this song, being a trans woman. Um, and you know, that experience is something that <laughs> some women are terrified about for them, for their kids their friends and but you know there's that it's that prospect of spending a lot of time looking at the women around you and going I want to be that I want to be like that somehow I don't understand how to reach that ideal and you know I just wanted to throw in that that's another kind of piece of the pie to my connection to this song as well. Another thing we threw up in the air when we were talking planning this episode was in one of her in the Scarlet Stories, where Tori's talking about each song, she mentions that Scarlet is presenting these two, two versions of paradise, but her real feelings are actually present in the music, not the lyrics. And so then we listen to it again, specifically to try and decipher what Scarlet's true feelings are if she's not speaking them out loud. And what we found was there seems to be these two different vibes almost to the song. The verses are quite wistful and slow and like reflective, but then the chorus is very driving and sensual and you know, drumming and it's got a real... Mm, we kind of saw that as this way of balancing perspectives, because these those two vibes don't feel like they don't belong together. Mm. They work well to create the whole song. And it just, we kind of felt like that was Scarlett saying, well, there's, there's actually a bigger picture than all of this. And if you're, if you're driving to your own beat, then you're allowed to change tempo from mm. time to time. Yeah. It's all a bit of a game. It's all a bit of a setup, and you, you know you're going to get caught up in it because that's how that's how humans work. But um, keep one eye at least on the beat of your own drum. Yeah. So, do you have advice for Virginia? Yeah, 
weird. This one was complicated because this song is so deep. And there are so many things to draw from it. But for me, my advice for, my advice for Virginia is that, that being in a relationship shouldn't be your ultimate goal to life. And being in a relationship does not, by any margin, guarantee happiness. If you want to be in a relationship, it's really important that you understand why. Why do you want to be in a relationship at all? Because if it's just because that's what people do, or that's what your parents did, or that's what you believe will make you feel complete and happy, then you're, what you've, or the only thing you've guaranteed is despair. Because you know, a relationship doesn't do anything toward completing a person. It can flourish your life, and it, but it, you know, does your life need that particular flourishing? And if you wind up in a relationship for the wrong reasons, you're going to set yourself back a ways. You know, what is the need that you want to be filled by a relationship? And ask yourself genuinely, can you fulfill it yourself? Or can you fulfill it, fill it with the aid of friends or colleagues or classmates um, or, you know, comrades and companions and, you know, paramours and lovers rather than a relation, you know, committed, committed partner? Yeah, being in a relationship is not the ultimate of the human experience. Love is incredibly diverse and it's a relationship is something to be deeply considered before you go envying the relationships that other people have. Mm -hmm. Find the one that works for you. And I guess for me, my advice would be if you find yourself in a relationship, be very mindful of how the version of the relationship that is presented to other people differs from your reality mm. because if you find yourself enacting this poster couple relationship but you know that that poster is flimsy as fuck and like is hiding a giant hole in the wall mm. then you're the one that needs to recognize that that house doesn't stand and consider what you need to do about it mm. so I guess at the end of the day, just make sure that the version that's being presented to other people for them to envy or not is the reality. Just aligns as close as po possible to your own truth. Otherwise, you're probably in some hot water. Yeah. Shall be, we? Yeah, be honest with yourself. Yeah. And be honest about what it is. You know, if there's no one that you can speak to honestly about your relationship, yeah, why, why do you need to hide things about your relationship? Yeah. And if you do, perhaps it's because there's something not quite right. Yeah, absolutely. Shall we end with a little bit of a song swap? Yeah. Songs that came to mind while we were talking yeah. about this. My song that I'm swapping is Girl by Destiny's Child, which um, was off their sort of last album they would do together, Destiny Fulfilled, which is their greatest album, inarguably. Um, and what we kind of, what kind of has surfaced since is that um, Kelly was going through um, a great deal of relationship abuse um, and struggling to sort of reveal that to the world. Um, and Girl is a song about your girlfriend supporting you when they can see that something's wrong and you can't even see it or you refuse to admit it. They encourage you to find happiness and to you know realize that that relationship is, isn't serving you. Uh, yeah, that's, um, it's, it's a banger. <laughs> well, I also went the pop route this mm. time. Um, surprisingly, Nelly Furtado's Grass is Green 
came to mind because we were talking about all this grass is greener yeah. um, metaphor. metaphor and comparing paradises. So the chorus of Grass is Green, she talks about, yeah, the grass is green, but now I've stained my knees and everyone can see that I've been in it. Really hit me quite hard during that relationship because in a nutshell, when my ex was arrested for the first time and spent six months in prison, our sex life basically dried up completely. He, he, it affected him, as you would imagine, that disrailed his life in, a, in such a big way. Uh, and it also disrailed mine. And so after about three years or so of basically not having sex at all, um, I started cheating on him, uh, just casual, anonymous, cruising, um, bathroom hookups, all of that sort of thing, just to scratch that itch, I guess, to feel something again. I was desiring passion and sex and sexuality uh, and feeling very unhappy in the relationship at home. And so this was the unhealthy way I had found to express that. Now, I'm not saying non-monogamy is the unhealthy way. I'm saying that this was non-consensual. Oh, well, yeah, that's like cheating and non-monogamy are very different things. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And so I was um, very much using it to then shame myself into staying as well. It became a cruel cycle of um, shame and guilt and um, seeing my actions as the cause of our problems rather than his actions. And that now that I've been in it and everyone can see, like I've got grass stains on my knees, very much was a, you need to check yourself for what you, what you want out of life and, you know, don't put yourself in these compromising positions, compromising your own morals, uh, just to have some kind, some level of sanity or happiness even if it's fleeting and guilt-ridden <laughs> or not even happiness sometimes. It was just unfulfilling and rubbish, mm. but it was a compulsion that took over me for the pretty much the remainder of our relationship. Mm. So, yeah, really need to sort of keep an eye on your... Your moral compass. Your moral compass and what it is you want that describes your paradise and, and change the things in your world that you can in order to get that, mm. um, but in an ethical way. I mean, yeah, there's, there's, a, there's a point, you know, what, what, can, what you can change, a lot of this, you know, it takes time and it will, you know, we're not saying it's easy. Um, and there are gonna be sort of obstacles that everyone has to face in order to craft their own reality, but as, best available to you that isn't going to you know, compromise your integrity, then that's the way to go. Yeah. Yeah, follow, follow your heart on that one. Because there is room for loving, supportive, committed relationships and wild, passionate sex in and out of. Absolutely.
So relationship, um, consensual non-monogamy is a beautiful thing. Yeah, if it works for you. Yes. Whew! Holy <sighs> Jane. Paradise, up and down the walls. Mm. <laughs> we got Scarlet's Walk coming up next, and that one's gonna be, a, that's gonna be taking a bit of a different way of us doing things, um, which I'm really excited for. It's a, it's a big song, that one. It's got a lot going on in it, and yeah, it's kind of pivotal in my own history. Can't wait to unpack it. Um, as always, remember that you can support us on GoFundMe. Um, we are keeping that open the entire length of Michael's walk. <laughs> the entire, <laughs> never mind. Um, never mind. Um, uh, you know, so jump onto michaelerp.net to find out all of the things. And thanks so much for listening. The Michael's Walk podcast acknowledges that the journey they are undertaking takes place on the sacred and unceded nations of many proud Indigenous peoples. From the lands of the Wurundjeri and the Bunurong people of the Kulin Nation, we are fortunate to call home to each and every Native American tribe's land we'll set foot on as we travel. We pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging, and humbly acknowledge their sovereignty.